This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Laura from AJ Bell and I'm joined by Dan from Shares. Hi. And we're also joined this week by Steve Fraser from Shares. Hello. So this week we're going to cover why switching your mortgage deal could save you £180,000, what activist investors are and how they pick their targets, and why customer behaviour in the energy market might threaten your steady income paying stocks. So firstly, Dan, have there been any big market moves this week? Well, after a bit of a rally at the start of the year on the stock markets, things have sort of quietened down a little bit. Um, We've had the IMF downgrade global growth forecasts from 3.7% to 3.5% for 2019. While it's kind of expected, it is never sort of pleasant to see these downgrades. I think that's put investors in a slightly sort of grumpy mood. Um, Global economic expansion, losing momentum is never really good for stocks, but of course, everyone's just sort of stick by the sort of the mantra that you know, even if stocks are going, um, markets going up or down, you should continue to feed money in um, and don't just try and time things and get spooked when things looking a bit miserable. Um, so in terms of individual stocks, you know, house builders have had quite a good time this week. Um, Metro Bank, not so good. Um, there's been sort of a, there's a price war amongst mortgage providers um, and also sort of savings rates going up. So therefore, its, it's margins are being sort of, um, sort of squeezed a bit. Um, cybersecurity firm Sophos has had yet another shocker of a week, um, and you've had ITV also down on some sort of analysts sort of worried about the state of the advertising market. So all, all in all, not amazing, but um, certainly not sort of um, panic time. Not a very upbeat review of the markets, but that's okay. We'll let you off. Yeah, you'd be more upbeat next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this week you've also been looking at companies that could be the potential target of activist investors. So these are kind of professional investors that buy a stock and then they agitate for change rather than just holding the stock on on the basis that it's going to go up in the future. So. Firstly, how do activist investors make these changes happen? Well, I think it's, it's it's probably important to understand exactly who they are. I always think of them a bit like the uninvited guest. They're like if, if you've got a company and something's not going quite right, you might hire in um, a management consultant to come say, um, I've spotted these areas in your business which you could do a bit better. So you kind of think of activist investors as the evil management consultants of the world. Um, what they want to do really is is to spot a company that's either in trouble or is a bit sleepy or could do a bit better. Um, they'll buy the shares um, and then they'll they'll push for change. So they either say, I, I want a seat on the board because I'm now a big shareholder or um, they may set up a big website to sort of almost name and shame. And this is, this is what's been happening uh, in the news this week with Just Eat. So there's a company in America um, called Cat Rock Capital, which just before Christmas set up this website um, sort of saying that Just Eat wasn't doing uh, very well. Um, its management was setting targets that were so easy to achieve. Um, and sort of, it, it sort of really put a spotlight on the business. And sort of, I'm sure there were some very red faces there. Um, so fast forward to this week and Just Eat's chief exec, Peter Plum, has actually stood down. Um, and so this activist investors come out saying, this is great. You know, the board's finally recognising that the company's got a slow pace of planning um, and just start to put in a bit more aggressive targets. Um, so this, this is kind of the stuff that they do. They, they, they either go full on, embarrass people, or they do it quite quietly behind closed doors. And then they come out and say, PS, we've been building up this stake. 
Um, and this is like what we, what we want to achieve. And, and then what they want to do is realize some value, uh, make some changes, and then the share price hopefully goes up and then they sell out. So and this used to be the preserve of kind of hedge funds, didn't it? It was yeah. a particular sector of the hedge fund industry that used to do this. But we have seen a bit more kind of, I was going to say normal fund managers, not that hedge fund managers are abnormal, but um, more of your standard fund managers doing more of this in recent years, haven't they? Yeah, definitely. Particularly with smaller companies, because they feel that they can take a big stake um, and they can sort of hold the management's hands and say, look, this is what we think you should do. Uh, give you some guidance. So uh, a lot of investors, sort of traditional fund managers, wouldn't call themselves activist investors. They're, they're merely sort of um, you know, having a bit more hands-on than than. An, your average investor might have, but you still have these hedge funds in the market still doing this stuff. Um, so a, a good example, which people probably know at the moment, is Whitbread, which which owned up until uh, recently owned Premier Inn and Costa Coffee um, and a load of restaurant chains. So uh, activist investors were pushing for the business to spin off Costa. And so last year we had this agreed sale um, to Coca-Cola out of the blue. And now it's just um, predominantly a, a hotel business. So that, that's a good example of activist investors acting quite quickly and you're seeing real change. Um, but you've got more slow motion ones happening with Barclays. Um, we've got uh, Sherbourne are in there. They want uh, they're coming in as investors. They want a new chairman. They want the investment banking activity sort of reduced, more capital return to shareholders. And it kind of looks like Barclays is pushing back. Certainly, doesn't. there's no sort of evidence of any sort of major change as a result of this investor coming on board. And sometimes it works really well, and sometimes there are kind of spectacular failures in it, aren't there? Yeah. I mean, there, there's a great example. Um, so th in America, the supermarket chain JCPenney um, that was not doing very well. And you, you got an active investor came on board um, who didn't really have any sort of hands-on experience in retail. So it went and hired this retail expert to turn things around. So on, on paper, you think, okay, good. They've got a plan. Um, they've got a guy who knows what they're doing. Um, but actually what they did, this new person sort of misread what customers wanted. Um, he sort of scrapped this markdowns, which is where you, you go into a shop and you see it's one price. And then in, in a week later, they've, they've pulled it down to a lower price. You think, oh, I've got a bargain. I'm, I'm going to buy that so they changed the strategy to simply just have lower prices and customers went in and thought oh this is not how it works i don't like this at all um and it was a real flop and i saw this great comment saying that that jc penny been run into a ditch when this um new chief exec came in uh, as a result of activist investors um, hiring him but rather than getting it back on the road he essentially set it on fire so it's yeah. <laughs> great imagery there yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny as well because um the market obviously speculates about activists getting involved and like about april last year Microfocus International, the IT infrastructure company, it was speculated that the Elliott International were taking a stake, and their share price ran up uh, 950p to about 13 quid. And and still to this day, I can find no evidence that Elliott have got a major stake in in Microfocus. But that share price did react just simply on the speculation that they were sniffing around. And I think people do look to it. They, they look. They think if in fact if an activist investor is or could be involved, it could be good for the share price. Um, you know, you're seeing just each share price actually has been rising amid all this sort of. Um, now, Dixon's car phone has been in the news uh, this week because there is speculation that it is going to be the next target. Um, and we had in America, eBay, um, there's an active investor just taking a 4% stake. I mean, they've invested $1.4 billion. You know, this isn't just sort of just playtime. Yeah. This is serious stuff. Um, and so, of course, eBay shares will, will react positively to that. Um, yeah, I mean, the, you, I mean, loads of value has been stripped. It's been created by by demerging these these big 
businesses that kind of acquire um, and become these kind of mini conglomerates and eventually an activist comes in and says well, hang on this is not very practical it's not it's not um it's not serving a, a, a real purpose so let's go and chop it all up and flog bits off and, and some real value has been created over the years i mean that's true but then you think well is it is it good for the business long term certainly good for the actual investor if they can do short-term changes but um you know, the real test is whether they've actually done something for um to make the company more productive, to increase profitability long term, um, I've certainly seen suggestions that staff in these businesses um, you know, do not welcome an active investor getting on board. They shake things up, and they sort of, the suggestion is they just don't understand the internal culture. So um, yeah, there's pros and cons. It's it's, a, mm. it's one you could debate for a long time. Sure, sure. And I think retail investors can actually, if you wanted to, can take part in this theme because there are a couple of funds, um, certainly the odd ETF as well, which plays directly to active investing. One of the highest profile examples is Crystal Amber, which trades on the AIM uh, market of the London Stock Exchange. Um, now, at the moment, you, you could just buy shares in Crystal Amber and it, it, it is an active investor and it has a portfolio of companies in which it's made investments and it's pushing for change in all of them. So at the moment, it's trying to push for change at Delarue, passport company um stv the media company northgate which is like vans um and stockbroker senkos now in the past it's done really well which is kind of why uh, it, its name is out there it's it's managed to make some changes at film studio group pinewood um air lingus the airline um also chocolate maker thornton so it, it it's it's and it's quite visible and it will constantly update investors about its progress um but the, the key thing is here the point of when things actually change is not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed to change, and these things can take a long time to happen as well. Mm. Talking about creating money from small changes, Laura, you've been looking at shopping around for mortgage rates and how that can have an impact on your finances. Yeah, so I've been looking at the difference. I've been mining through many mortgage companies' websites and looking at the difference between the best rates that they offer and the standard variable rate. So standard variable rate, or SVR as it's quite often called, is the default rate that you fall onto. So you lock in a two-year or a five-year deal. Um, you're guaranteed an interest rate for that period. And then after that period, if you don't change to a better mortgage deal, you fall onto this kind of default rate. It's similar to how we see in bank account interest rates, where you earn a certain amount on your savings, but it's probably for a certain amount of time and then you switch to a much worse rate so but the difference between the best rates and the standard var variable rates are massive and then if you extrapolate that over the kind of standard 25 year mortgage you end up paying far more so some examples that I've looked at so HSBC for example big bank that lots of people have heard of and will have their mortgage with um, it offers a good two-year fixed rate of 1.64% at the moment but once that deal ends you'll be paying 4.19% in interest um, Leeds Building Society obviously smaller but that's the worst offender in terms of the difference between its best and standard variable rate so that offers 1.62% for a two-year fixed rate but then once you come off that deal you will be paying 5.69% wow God. So a lot of people end up on these rates um, either because they don't realise that their fixed rate deal has ended or it's one of those kind of life admin things that they think I need to get round to fixing this but I haven't got round to doing it. Or some people um, end up with their circumstances changing and they realise that they wouldn't be able to borrow the same amount that they initially did so they're kind of stuck on these rates because they can't move anywhere else. I, I think that's a real factor because you are asking effectively a new lender to take on your debt. 
mm-hmm. on your circumstances. <clears throat> so if your circumstances have changed in any way, that can really affect you know, how risky your debt is ultimately. Exactly. So people that between taking the mortgage out and this point have their job circumstances have changed. Maybe one of them has stopped working if they're a couple or they've become self-employed and they don't have enough accounts to mm-hmm. show it. Um, we also have... There's a whole other sector of the market uh, which are called mortgage prisoners, which um, sounds very emotive, but it's people that are basically trapped on these deals thanks to regulation changes that made um, affordability rules stricter when you come to um, apply for your mortgage. So it's people that are basically told that they can't afford a cheaper mortgage deal, even though it would mean that they're paying out less each month, which seems completely absurd. So this is the idea, if you're, let's say you, you, your, your salary hasn't changed and your outgoing is all the same, but actually, because um, it's to do with changes in the stress test, isn't it? So yeah. they, they want to sort of see if, 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 you know, can you cope if your repayments on your interest increase to 7%? Um, because of these tighter rules, so, you, know, you have some people sort of turning around saying, hang on a minute, I've been a loyal customer. Um, can't I just flick to your new fixed rate? Because my come to the end so but what is something being done to to help these people yeah so the regulator is now focused in on these mortgage prisoners and is trying to help them they're kind of split into different groups of people so there's some groups that are still with mortgage lenders that are active in the market and lending there are some people that are in old books of business that have been sold on so for example people that had a mortgage with northern rock and then that book of business got sold on to someone else Um, and then there are some people within there where they have actually defaulted on their mortgage rate because their personal circumstances have changed. For them, it's harder to switch to a better deal. But the regulator, yeah, is essentially um, trying to make it easier and tackling each of these groups one at a time to make it easier for them to switch to a cheaper rate or to a better deal. And of course, this is all tied into the asset price. So the house prices have, have, you know, have, have been relatively flat for a couple of years now, and in some areas of the country have, have been negative. So I mean, if you've got a house that's perceived to be less valuable than it was when you when you first took out the mortgage, then that's going to affect you know your ability to get. Finance. Yeah, exactly. And the but the kind of difference between the SVR rate and the best rate is another kind of loyalty bonus. So we've talked about it before in terms of when a deal comes to an end, you need to shop around for a better one rather than rolling over automatically. And the amount that you can save really adds up because you're obviously talking about such a high level of lending. It's the biggest debt that you're probably going to have in your life is your mortgage. And so on about a £200,000 loan, the difference between um, the average difference is £3,500 a year extra that you'll be paying if you roll on to this standard variable rate. So then obviously over the term of a mortgage, that's a massive additional amount of money. Um, So I guess the main thing is switch if you can, look around at better deals, speak to your mortgage provider if your circumstances have changed and don't immediately assume that you won't be granted a new mortgage because your salary has decreased or whatever. Or I guess even, mm. even you know, in the absence of getting a pay rise, I suppose one thing you could do is to, over, if you're a mortgage prisoner and you've been rejected for new ones because of the stricter lending rules, you could overpay, uh, if possible, your existing mortgage. And then, and then you would own more equity. So when, let's say, in a couple of years' time, they could reassess um, and that you might actually find that the, the lenders would be more in your favour because you suddenly... Well, you've increased the amount of equity you own and that's, and that's that makes part two of the assumptions, equation, doesn't it? it? A, you've got the, the, the spare well, yeah, cash to invest yeah. and also that um, you haven't got a mortgage that will penalise you for overpaying because mm. lots of mortgages do penalise you for making bonus payments. Mm. 
Yeah, so I think the main thing that you need to do is A, be aware of when these good deals and good rates are ending. And then B, if you are trapped on an SVR, look at all your different options and speak to mortgage providers or speak to a mortgage broker and see what your options are and, and what the kind of best route out of it is. Yeah. Um, so talking of shopping around for better deals, new research from which released this week um, shows that the big six energy suppliers are falling out of favour with customers, both in terms of customer satisfaction, but also people switching away from the big energy companies and moving towards this growing mass of smaller kind of some of which are tiny energy companies. Um, so that's obviously great for consumers if they're getting better deals, but not quite so good for investors, Steve. No, I mean, it's, it's been going on for ages. I mean, since switching first came in several years ago, I mean, the big six have been losing customers uh, hand over fist. And the, the theory is, is that these, these younger independent companies are giving better customer service. Um, the problem you find is with some of them is they're just not f- strong enough financially. Mm. And so as wholesale prices move against them, um, they will offer promotional deals to customers, um, can't charge them more, so they have to swallow all of the extra wholesale cost. And we've seen several small independents go bust uh, over the last 12 months or so. But I mean, it will come as no surprise that, you know, customer satisfaction for the big six, you know, British Gas, SSE, Eon, EDF, et cetera, et cetera, um, score poorly. I mean, no one really likes their big utility suppliers the perception is is widely held that all they do is pass on costs up front to you um, when it's um, price rises and then take ages and ages to pass on any price reductions so that's not terribly surprising however what has changed is this concept from the investment point of view that this used to be a really safe place for reliable income so you used to be able to get five and a half, maybe six percent a year in terms of dividend yield, and you could pretty much take that to the bank. And that's simply not the case anymore. Um, we've we've already seen uh, Century can make quite a substantial dividend cut too. I think in the last five years or so. Um, and there's lots of speculation about SEC might be the next one to have to cut its dividend, especially now it's had to pull out of this, this tie-up with Empower Energy. So um, lots of companies in the utility space that perceptively have very reliable income streams, uh, not necessarily the case. Look into the telecom sector, Vodafone is yielding about 8.5%, BT about 6.3%. Effectively, when you get really stretched yields, the market is saying, well, either the share price is too low or these dividends are just not reliable, in which case I expect to take a, to, to earn a better return to take the risk of a dividend cut coming through in the future. So the, the idea that the utility space should be a nice little part of your portfolio that would just give you Free cash over years and years and years is something you you probably have to rethink. Certainly in the in the current climate, with political risk, competition risk, um, and and all the other factors that are going on. I guess it's some of these big companies have just had it so easy for so long um, to see little tiny guys snapping at their feet and sort of taking taking away their customers. Um, it's it's a long overdue wake up call, isn't it, for these these businesses? Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. But the, the other factor here is that. Um, the independent space is only one aspect of this. There's lots of political risk being factored in. I mean, the water space has been targeted by Jeremy Corbyn, potentially, if he ever gets into power, about taking that private. And that, that sends spooks the market, certainly. Um, there's also about price caps that have come in, come in this year, this month, in fact, into the energy supply market. So there are top-down risks and there are bottom-up risks. So um, they're getting squeezed at all ends. And, and utility share prices have been absolutely terrible for about three years, at least, I would say. 
Is it a case that investors could just switch into investing in some of these newer upstarts that are taking some of the big six? Most, most of them are privately owned. There, there's one or two telecom pluses and independent. And it, 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 it does energy, it does telecoms. It's a multi-utility supplier. But um, it's few and far between um, how many of these companies are on the stock market. Most are in private hands. So unless you can find funds that invest in some of these companies in, and in private companies, you're pretty much close to that opportunity. So I think Witwich put out um, a survey looking at what I think it was the deemed what the public deems to be the greatest or and the worst sort of energy suppliers. So Octopus came top, didn't it? I think that, so. that, that's right. Yeah. And companies like Octopus, there's Robinhood Energy, So Energy, Ebico. I mean, many of these companies I've never heard of, to be honest. And it wouldn't surprise me if there's a completely different range of, of, of four or five companies this time next year. Um, you know, consumers are going to be reactive. If you have a bad experience, you're going to slate that company. If you do reasonably well, you might put in a positive response, but you might you might not. Um, but fundamentally, what you can guarantee is that somewhere down the bottom, that's where you're going to find the big six. Yeah. Well, Octopus is um, they're actually best known as a sort of a, an asset management business. And so they, they launched this power stuff on the side because they were investing in so many um, sort of infrastructure style uh, businesses. But actually, I spoke to them a year or two years ago to the chief exec, and he was saying to me, um, they would never, ever float on the stock market. So if, if, you, um, if you're thinking, OK, this is a growing business and it's come number one in the, in the things... Potentially, that's going to join. You know, it's an investment opportunity for me. Um, certainly, as it stands, what we've been told is the answer is no. Um, mm. But it, it, you know, as a customer, you can you can look to these, or, or a potential customer, look to some of these companies if you think that they are um, pretty established and doing quite well, even though they might be small relative to the big six. Um, you know, this is good opportunity for you to shop around and see if you can get a better deal. So yeah. I, I actually switched to Octopus mm. last year. Um, and the one thing that struck me was the, the how easy it was to switch. I literally just, I said, I want to switch to you. They said, fine, we'll do everything. You don't even need to tell your existing provider. We'll do it. And then there was a, a two-week delay, and they sent me a couple of emails saying, like, um, without, you know, without me asking, they were sort of saying, oh, we just want to update you. This is what's happening. This is what we've got, a slight issue, and this is, and we'll get it solved. And I couldn't, it was just like customer service you'd, I'd never, ever seen in an, in utility sector at all, um, but I guess a, cer- a certain amount of switching fatigue. I mean, it just the, the, the government is in the, go- the government's interest to promote the, the interests of consumers, but we're just getting badgered by it. I think, and that's how a lot of people see it. And uh, it's all very well saying you could save up to two hundred pounds, but that's in extreme cases. These are top level figures when you you make your own calculations i mean it might be 50 quid a year or something you're saving you think well do i want to go and switch again and in 12 months time have to switch again and in 12 months time they have to switch again so i think there's there's a certain amount of switching fatigue amongst certain consumers yeah well actually my, my, my dad looked just after i told him about octopus he said oh i'll have a go at that and he he got a quote from him actually he wouldn't save any money at all so it's not it's not a sort of a simple you move someone else you're guaranteed to save money it, it doesn't work like that so but just one final point about potential ways to save money. Um, you know, we were talking on a previous podcast about cashback websites. Um, and one of the ways was to get cashback from Amazon, which is you know, so popular these days with consumers. Um, so I thought this week, let's touch upon uh, another way which you can potentially save money by using Amazon. And so this is a website which I use called Camel Camel Camel, which is you know, such an amazing name, isn't it? Quite a bizarre name. Doesn't really tell you what it does. It's absolutely brilliant. And even on their website, they're selling T-shirts with their three camels on it. I mean, they are the future uh, massive name in retail. <laughs> but, but anyway, you, you could go on to... 
um, Camel, Camel, Camel. And what they do is they do a, a price tracking. So they'll show you the history of items on Amazon and you can sort of see what the average selling price. And then you can actually input, um, say, no, they say, Laura, you want to buy a chainsaw. So <laughs> You know uh, me so well. <laughs> yeah. So you can put, you can put in um, the brand of chainsaw you want and say, okay, the, it's 100 quid at the moment, but I, I really want to pay 70 quid for it. So you put 70 quid as your desired price. Um, and should the price suddenly drop to that level, you'll get an email and then you can just go ahead and buy it. And you, you know that you've... You know, so smart. Yeah, you save some money. But what's quite interesting about Amazon, it, it, there are some um, examples of it working a bit like hotels um, and sort of restaurants where, where you've got sort of dynamic pricing. So if there's more people, um, and it's sort of airlines as well, so people, more people wanting to buy some stuff, sometimes they'll just they'll play around with prices. Um, but they also have weird pricing anomalies, like a, a glitch in the system. Um, I've seen reports of people who are trying to make a business out of spotting these glitches. And I know last year, I, I sort of, I bought a new release CD, so it's normally about 10 quid. Um, I thought, I don't want to pay that, so I put in... Um, new music for you, Dan. That's I know, it's, it's, it's a rarity. Surprise, it is it? a rarity, but I thought, I just, I just try this experience. <laughs> um, and so I, I thought, well, maybe I'll put eight quid in see what happens and I suddenly got this email saying it's available for £1.85 and it's like uh, and it was a glitch in the system so I was like great I bought it and I checked 10 minutes later and the price gone straight back to 10 quid um, oh. and I thought this is this is amazing so I mean I'm sort of not trying to encourage you to spend money we're here to talk about <laughs> investing and saving money but um, it's a nice little thing to have a look and there are other websites as well which do these price tracking price history things so. This is great. I'm going to use this. I, you'll be pleased to hear I've used my first cashback site as well. After well done. we talked Good. about it. So I'm already on my way there, saving money all over the shop. Good. I hope you haven't bought a chainsaw because you could have got... <laughs> <laughs> you can never have too many chainsaws. <laughs> So thanks very much for listening this week. Um, just a little uh, teaser for next week's podcast. We have a special guest in the form of Andy Bell, Chief Executive of AJ Bell. Um, so please do listen in. So he's a man you don't want to miss. So as ever, send us any thoughts or ideas you have by emailing us at podcast at ajbell.co.uk. Thanks very much and see you later. Thanks. Thanks. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. The podcast talks about various money issues. Just don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. You should also recognise that how an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future and that tax rules apply.